This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast brought to you by Huntworth. Huntworth clothing for all types of weather, all types of terrain, all kinds of budgets. It's clothing that just works. Check them out at HuntworthGear.com. Just getting back from the NRA Great American Outdoor Show uh, over this past weekend. Uh, met a lot of cool people uh, working in the Latitude booth. It was uh Kind of, kind of hectic there a little bit for uh, Greg Litzinger and I. Jake was there and uh, D-Rock, but uh, kind of a skeleton crew, and man, we were busy. So um, got to meet a lot of people, hopefully a lot of new listeners, people just tuning in now. Um, great show. Happy to be out there. Uh, got to catch up with uh, a lot of the people um you know, that I don't get to see very much. Johnny Stewart there, uh, Bill Thompson, uh, the guys from Ozio, uh, you know, Eric Rundell. And um, actually um, drove all that way for uh, uh, to get to get to hang out with Matt Lair. He was working in the Ozio booth. I'll have to get him on. Definitely check out his podcast, The Mobile Hunters Dojo. Um, great information over there. Uh, really like what he's doing. So, Yeah great show uh got to check out some new products check out some stuff saw the guys from big shot um but uh did get one uh new patreon uh signed up uh over i got that notification when i landed in 
Harrisburg. Uh, so shout out to Ben Walters from Traverse City. Uh, he's in now on all of our um, Patreon giveaway. So we work with partners who uh, give back. You know, we do quarterly giveaways from Latitude, Spartan Forge, Big Shot, Genesis 3D, Kanadi, Zingers. Oh, I feel like I'm forgetting somebody. I know we're, I'm still working out the deal with uh, Lucky Buck to make sure everything's cool. Um, actually, Alpine Innovations, they actually donated some stuff. I was looking for a bino harness, and we're gonna, we got some stuff coming up with that. Uh, where I'm going to showcase that here pretty quick, but I was looking for a bino harness, actually looking for one of the, the Rick young, just uh paracord ones. And, uh, Greg recommended that he bought it from last year, uh, super minimalist bino harness. And so that's what I'm going to run this year, but they, um, gave us basically one of everything that they have. So for our Montana bear hunt, we've got a rifle cover, a sling, we got a bow sling. We have, um, also one of the bino harnesses to give away. So big shout out, go check them out. Check out that bino harness. Uh, if you are looking for something minimalist, um, that's new for, uh, for this year. So pretty awesome that they were able to do that for us. So we, we do all of that. And then we also have our, uh, Patreon group, the Marco Polo group, uh, gearing up for this bear hunt, gearing up for, uh, our Patreon hunt here in Michigan. Um, all that stuff. It's a great community that we're building. So you definitely check that out um but yeah so regardless uh it's a great weekend great show all that stuff uh this podcast we're going back uh you know starting on that uh, spring bear hunt uh with mark livesey so we started off this podcast talking a little bit about uh, elk hunting uh how bear hunting can make you a better elk hunter uh, little tactics and tricks for for bear hunting and some pretty exciting stuff uh when it comes to bear calling just like we did with zach uh, but great podcast mark is a great guest uh full of knowledge uh both elk and bear hunting um and he's one of the guys that's out there doing it so i know you guys are going to enjoy this podcast it's pretty fast paced and uh, lots of good conversation uh as always thanks for listening Hey everybody, welcome back to the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. Uh, Adam here, going to talk some, I, I promised you guys we were going to talk some spring bear. We're going to, we're changing it up a little bit. We got, you know, things, things are moving quickly over here, but uh, I got Mark Livesey on here. You you may remember him, Treeline Pursuits, uh, out with uh, the, um, the elk hunting when we first started elk hunting and we were, we were talking to him about his course and his way to, to kind of, uh, locate some of these elk and what he's doing. And, uh, so now he's got the tree line academies, um, and he's doing the same thing with bear and spring bear. And it turns out he's, he's pretty passionate about, uh, about bear hunting. And it, it, you know, from listening to some of his stuff in his family, it's almost more, they, they, they prefer to eat bear than elk. So we'll, we'll get into, get into all that, uh, as, as we go forward here. But, uh, so, so how are you doing today, Mark? Doing good, man. Doing real good. So, so we were just talking a little bit about, um, elk hunting and, and things like that, like kind of what we got coming up for the system and uh, the, for the year. Um, and I was asking him about, um, like the Idaho draw system now for, for elk. And he said, it'd probably be good to get it on here to get the information out. So John and I hunted, uh, Idaho, back in 2018 where there was no problem. You just went in, you saw what was available and you bought one. And it turns out it's not like that anymore. Right? No, it's, it's definitely not. When I, 
So I've hunted Idaho every year since I moved to Montana. Um, because I've just been lucky about, I've just been a hawk about trying to find tags. And they used to be, like you said, easy. But in the last couple of years, um, things have changed. But I remember when I first started hunting Idaho, I would wait until August um, to buy my tag. And I would buy my tag for prime zone. I mean, you know, over-the-counter tags, I'd buy them in August. And they're not really over the counter. They're they're called over the counter, but they're limited. There's a certain number. It's not like Colorado where it's unlimited. So it's still it's still kind of over the counter, meaning you can buy them, but there is a limit. So anyway, I would buy this tag and I would go hunt. And if we were lucky enough to kill an elk, I would drive back into town, buy a second elk tag for Idaho. Those were the good old days, right? Those are the those are the good days before all you uh Midwestern guys started figuring out, you know, I'm just kidding. I'm one of those guys. <laughs> before we started figuring it all out, but you know, I got to give um I got to give the Idaho fishing game uh a little bit of credit here because they have taken a very marginal, I'm going to say marginal cuz it's the truth. A very marginal elk tag. They're over the Idaho over-the-counter elk tag is nothing special. Not as good as the Montana tag. It's certainly not as good as a Wyoming over-the-counter or a general tag, in my opinion. There's some good areas, et cetera, et cetera. But in general, it's a margin marginal elk tag. And they have somehow turned the demand into that elk tag like it's an Arizona unit 23 tag. Well, 70 some thousand people were in the queue this year on December 1st to buy a few thousand elk tags. And it's crazy. And I don't know where the demand is coming from, but um, it's there. And Idaho, there's some, I don't want to name names. There's some regions in Idaho that you absolutely do not want an elk tag in. That it's some of the worst elk hunting in North America. And those tags sell out on that day. Now, usually you see them back in that some people are returning them once they realize how bad it is. And, you know, the wolf zones and some of these zones. Now there, there's some of them that are coming, making a comeback, but for the most part, they're really terrible elk tags. And I sat there online and watched them sell out. And I'm like, they could not give these tags away. Three years ago. I mean, they couldn't. They were always, those tags were always available. So anyway, I have to give them credit. And I used to, I, I kept saying that, I know we don't want to spend too much time on this, but this is good stuff. I know that, um, you know, I know people have just been down on the system and how you got to get in line and get in the queue and it's system crashes and all the stuff. And I keep thinking they got to fix it. They got to fix it. But then I started realizing that they don't want to make it better. They don't want to fix it because what they've created is this artificial demand for a mediocre elk tag. And, um, you know, and I, I know that sounds harsh, but, you know, Adam, I, I like to speak the truth. And that's the truth. Now, I'm not saying I'm not going to hunt Idaho. I'm just saying it's a standard run-of-the-mill elk tag. And so, yeah, that's the situation. So on December 1st every year, now remember it's the year before. So this past December at 10 o'clock a.m., you log into your computer and you get a lottery number. And depending on that number, you 
you know, you just literally sit on your computer for four, five hours waiting for your number to come up. It depends on your number. My number is usually in the four or five hour range. And when your number comes up, you've got 10 minutes to buy your text. So you better be paying attention to your computer screen when your number pops up. But, you know, I think about it, and there's two big, giant problems with the system, Adam. One is you cannot hunt with your buddies. It's very difficult because you and me get online. I might get number 1,000. You get number 20,000. The chances of us buying the same tag is zero. And I can't buy your tag, and you can't buy me a tag online. That's a real problem. People want to hunt with their buddies. They want to go... Whatever, it makes it incredibly difficult. So that's the first problem. Uh, and then the second problem is um, you if your number is above 2,000, you're pretty much screwed. I watched it this year, and if you had a number above, if your lottery number was above 2,000, remember there was 70, over 70,000 when I looked. Your chance of getting any kind of reasonable elk tag is slim to none. So anyway, I, I know we want to talk about bears. That's my favorite subject this time of year. But I, you know, I want to throw that out because there's a lot of guys, obviously, there's a lot of people hunt, interested in hunting Idaho, and I want to make sure they kind of know the gig. So it's this December 1st, um, the year before the season. But the good thing about it, here's one good thing I will say about it. And one of the reasons I go for this tag every year, Adam, is that it's December 1st. I know if I've got an elk tag or not. So. I always go for it because I want to have that security blanket in my pocket. You know, that's my business. I elk hunt. I love elk hunt. It's what I do for a living. It's just what we do. And we can't do it if we don't have elk tags. And the days of just going and buying an, a Wyoming tag every couple of years is over. With the new rules in Idaho, it's probably going to take six points, potentially more, to get a, a general Wyoming elk tag. It's going to be... A very, it's going to be a much more difficult process than it has been. But anyway, so it's nice to know that you've got an elk tag. It's one of the earliest tags you can get. And if you're lucky enough to get a decent number, you know, you got a tag in your pocket. And so just so we're on the topic and like it, you know, it, it's that the whole, you know, social media influencer, blah, 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 whatever. We're kind of doing the point creep, all this stuff. So where's the new outside of that December thing. And, and obviously, you know, Colorado's on there, but where's the new Idaho? Like what, what, do, what do guys do when, when they just can't buy an Idaho tag like they used to? Well, you know, I got this whole strategy. I've talked about a bunch of times. I don't know if we want to get into it, but you guys, you can't just decide that you're going to go elk hunting right now. You can't just say, if, if you're from, uh, where are you from, Adam? Michigan. Michigan. So if you're from Michigan, you can't just decide, well, you can, but it's not as simple as it used to be like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to go elk hunting this year. So what are my options? Well, I could go to Oregon, but they got to over the kind of the over the counter tag. I could go to Montana, you know, that tag's easy to get. I can buy it on my way out or get in the draw and get it easily. Um, same with Idaho, same with, uh, you know, Wyoming every two or three years, I can get that tag. And then I've always got Colorado. It's an over, there's some over the counter tags in Colorado, obviously. Well, those days are finished. I know guys with two points in Montana are not drawing tags. 
Now, they guarantee three points you're going to draw. I don't know how they're doing that. I don't know how they can make that claim because it depends on how many people have three points. I don't know how that's possible, but that's what they're claiming. But I know people, a lot of people that are not drawing in two years in Montana. Uh, I put in for Wyoming with four points and didn't draw or three something and didn't draw. Um, I stood in line to Idaho and didn't get a tag one year. And I had to go to the second draw. I had to wait for the tags to be returned. So I guess what I'm getting to, Adam, is the days of just grabbing an elk tag and going elk hunting without any thought going into it is pretty much over because of the demand and 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 everything else. And it's crazy expensive. It's the non-resident. So I don't know if you know knew or not, but Wyoming just raised their tag price to nearly $2,000 for the special tag. My goodness. I mean, it makes me almost not want to hunt I, uh, Wyoming out of principle. I love Wyoming. It's one of my favorite states on elk, but my goodness, they're making it difficult um, for us. But um, so you have to have a strategy. So I always tell, you know, Idaho, there is no strategy. It's a lottery. There's no points. It's random. You just get in and do it. Just like New Mexico. But Montana and Wyoming, if you want to start putting those states in your cycle of states that you want to hunt, you need to be getting points. And guys, here's the other reality of elk hunting right now. I I know people are not, this is not going to be popular when I say this. And I hate to say that I've had to do this more than I, well, let me put it this way. I've had to do this more than my wife appreciate. That's for sure. Buy a super expensive elk tag and then not use it because for us we film hunts we produce content that's what we do if we don't have elk tags we can't do it so we have to take the chance like this idaho tag i go for the idaho tag i go for this tag i go for that tag i've had the utah i've had the over the counter basically over the counter you got to draw but i've had the utah tag three or four times and i've never hunted it yet it sucks to lose that money, but you know, it's one of those things that you're like, okay, this year, I guess what I'm getting to is Adam, you said, okay, this year I'm going to put in for Wyoming and next year I'm going to put in for Montana. And the next year I'm going to put it, that's, that may not be the best strategy. If that's your strategy, you're going to not be hunting elk uh, every year. If you want to hunt elk every single year, You've got to put in for these states, New Mexico, Idaho, these random draw states, as well as some of these point states. And you might get into a situation where you draw uh, two tags when you only really want one tag. But some of these states like Montana, there's a strategy to it. Montana does an 80 percent refund rate. So it only costs you a couple hundred dollars. So anyway, there's some tactics that go into it. But the point is. If you're going to want to hunt elk from the Midwest every single year and you don't want to go fight the crowds in Colorado every single year, which I think that's getting ready to come to an end as well. Colorado is in the tank, man. I'm t- oh, man, I feel like I'm negative about all these. <laughs> I was negative about Idaho. Colorado is hunting is on the verge of collapse. I'm just telling you folks right now with the wolf situation, with the mountain lion banning, with the spring bear banning, with the um, 
other things that are being thrown around and the way they go to the ballot, the way they run their conservation department by the ballot box in Colorado where they vote everything in, they don't let the experts do it. It spells disaster for Wyoming in the future. I, I'm in Wyoming, Colorado. I hate that. I spent my first almost 20 years of my elk hunting career in Colorado, and I hate to see the demise of the – it's a great elk state, and they're getting ready to freaking ruin it, in my opinion. I hope they don't, and maybe they'll listen to this podcast, <laughs> <laughs> and maybe they'll turn their ways around. But So anyway, I know that was probably a long-winded version, but – there's a, you have to plan it out now, Adam, then more than we used to, even in, when you said 2008 as your example, right? 18. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. 2018. Yeah. Yeah. 2008. It was probably great. <laughs> 2008. You could buy tag in every state over the counter. Just about, let me tell you a quick story. So I'm so old, Adam, that my first six years, I think if I, I, I don't quote me on this, I think I drew the New Mexico Premium elk tag, four out of six times my first six applications in New Mexico. And then after my last draw, guess how many years it went before I drew again? 21. Oh, <laughs> Took me 21 years to draw my next New Mexico tag. So I drew four out of six. In the early days, back in the, you know, I don't even want to say, I'm not going to say the date. And then, um, and then it took me 20, 20, 21 years to draw my next one. And, uh, I'm now I'm trying to go for my, another one, which <laughs> I, who knows when I'm going to get it next. So you say that that's kind of like a, a negative outlook, but I think it's, it's, it's a very real, um, perspective on it. And I mean, you're, you're certainly engulfed in it more than you know the 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 casual elk hunter and i would say the person that's listening to this it's it's some great insight there so i really do appreciate it but i think it leads really good into this podcast and kind of like what we're trying to do here because where it may not be to to most people and for like a, a midwestern guy on their radar as exciting as elk um you know, that spring bear is still a Western tag that's pretty accessible. It's not very expensive um, and uh, can be a pretty fun hunt. That You know, that's what we're trying to to accomplish here um, this year is 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 get some people um, in into that Western climate without all the hoops and headaches and uh, maybe get them ready for, you know, in in mountain shape and kind of have an idea of like logistically gear that they need what the terrain's like elevation all that stuff without putting in that four or five years worth of effort to get out there and say man i wish i would have prepared more or whatever so from and you know you said it but you you know you're a missouri guy at heart so where does spring bear fit in for like a regular midwestern tree stand hunter like why should it be on their radar well for one you, you said you said a lot of great things in that little intro that i want to get to because um I, I even almost hate saying this because people already are accusing us of ruining bear hunting um there's one way to become a better elk hunter right well that's not true there's two ways i always say there's two ways is education and experience. You have to educate yourself in the in all the tactics, 
and then you have to gain experience, right? There is no better way to gain experience than going out west on chasing some bears. You learn all, but you learn about glassing. You learn about difficult terrains. That's where they live. You learn how to navigate. You learn how to use topo maps. You learn how to use your gear. You use. You learn how to survive in the backcountry. You learn about your nutrition. You learn about all the elements that you're going to need to be successful elk hunting. It's really ideal. And man, again, I'm going to say this. When I came from Missouri, my first 30 years of elk hunting, well, I should say my first 25 years, seven years of elk hunting, I was coming from Missouri out to the West. Well, I didn't have time for bear hunting. I spent all my days, all my weeks for the two or three elk tags that I tried to get every year. So I really didn't chase bears. I didn't target bears. I killed several bears because back in those days, again, and I'm dating myself, back in those days, you just would grab a bear tag for whatever state you were in. And if a bear walked by while you were elk hunting, you went after the bear. That's the way I killed several bears in New Mexico, Wyoming, all the states. But now, but then, um, now bear tags are still available and they're still easy to get. But now that I live in Montana, I get to chase bears all spring. So last year I spent about 43, 44 days bear hunting. So I'm spending almost as much time bear hunting as I am elk hunting nowadays in multiple states. Um, this year I will hunt, like I said, I'm going to hunt Prince of Wales, Alaska, I'm going to hunt Idaho and I'm going to hunt Montana for sure. And we'll see if I get over to Wyoming or not. But my goal is to kill two or three bears a year. Um, you mentioned this, my wife. So when it comes to my hunting, I've got a very blessed situation and I've got a very incredible wife. I get to hunt an incredible number of days and I get to spend a, over a hundred days in a tent every year. And it's because I have such an amazing wife. But when I go bear hunting, she'll say to me, don't come back until you kill bear, whatever, whatever it takes. When I go elk hunting, she'll say things like, well, how long do you think you're going to be gone this time? When do you think you'll be back? You know, it's like there's little importance, almost no importance placed on the elk meat, but the bear meat is a ride or die. She's a, uh, you bring it home or you don't come home. <laughs> So it's funny because we've gotten so accustomed to this bear meat and we've learned so many great ways to cook it and just the fatty content of the bear meat, the sweet flavor of the bear meat. Um, I know that a lot of people have had bear meat before and they're like, they, they had a bad experience because it's not very good on the grill. It dries out and you got to cook it to a certain temperature or you risk trichinosis. As most people should, if you don't know that, you should know that kind of like the old days with pork, right? So, but once you kind of learn some of these tactics, it is incredible. So I know that was probably a long winded, but there's so many great opportunities in the West for bear hunting. Idaho, you can buy over the counter tags. You can just come out here and buy them. They're not that expensive um, for non-residents. Montana's the same thing. You can buy it when you get here. $350, I think, for a bear tag in Montana. And then uh, uh, Wyoming has different, you know, a little bit different 
arrangements, but usually they have a quota system in Wyoming, basically. So uh, it's kind of it's gotten a little bit risky, but not too bad. Like you could buy an elk tag, and all of a sudden the bear season would shut down because they reached a quota, right? That's a that's a potential in Wyoming, and uh, you know Colorado. I just mentioned earlier they thought in their infinite wisdom that they would they would cancel the spring bear season, and now they wonder, and they all wonder why they have such a bear problem. Huh? I don't know. It seems pretty, I mean, geez, Louise. So Idaho, Montana, even Utah has some bear hunting. Now, bear tags are not as easy to come by. And then Wyoming, there's there's some great states and um, some great areas and lots of bears in, in, in those states, particularly Idaho. Idaho is... Idaho's got so many bears that they give two tags in a lot of areas. So, um, or you can get two tags in a lot of areas. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot of great opportunities. It, it's not that expensive to do compared to other big game. And it really, really hones a lot of those important skills that you need to be successful chasing other big game animals, uh, especially in the Western states. Now, one thing you know, if, if, if guys are like thinking about going out there, something that we don't have, it's, it's not as big a deal. And I think everything out West is, I don't know, like I want to use a better word than bigger, but it's somewhat on a grander scale. And as far as planning a trip, one thing that really gets big out there really quickly and can be dangerous and, you know, very difficult is the weather, right? So whether you have a late spring, early spring, all of this. So timing of a bear hunt from a guy who's say, let's say that I want to start planning a trip this year for next year. Mm-hmm. How do you go about that because of weather? And how are you looking at that a year ahead of time to, you know, six months ahead of time? Because you got to have a vacation. You got to, you know, you're putting, even though it's a, in, minimal expense and kind of an easy tag you still have you know time involved gas all the things right yep yep so man that's a great question that's a in-depth question so i'm going to start off by saying this if this podcast comes out in time i'm not sure when you plan on releases but i'm sure it's probably not too far down the road um we are doing our first ever bear tour this year me myself ryan lampers and brian call are traveling to well my hometown we've got one in missoula and one in boise and it's a three-day bear hunting immersion event if you have any capabilities of getting to that event you will walk out of there the most educated and the most capable bear hunter that you can imagine i promise you these two guys with with those two guys tactical and strategy skills Coupled with, I think, my map reading and my e-scouting skills, you're going to be armed to the teeth um, with bear with 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 bear skills and tactics. I'll start with that. Secondly, um, we're working on a bear course, just like the e-scouting elk course, right? We're in it's in development. I was just working out this morning before you called. I'm writing the this topographic using topography maps um, module right now. So when you talk about weather, I just did a um, a webinar with Ryan Lampers, and we got to talking about this. And the way we look at it, there are two types of bear hunts, okay? There's two. 
Now, I'm talking about spot and stalk. Okay, if you want baiting and and dogs, that's a whole nother tactic if you want to pursue that. But if you're going to come out west and you're going to hunt bears with a rifle or a bow and you're going to spot and stalk them, meaning, you know, kind of pursue them, there's two kinds of ways to do it. So I'm going to ask you first. So when you come, you're coming to Montana, you said, are you coming on a defined time? Or do you have a date that you're coming? Yes. Okay. So you have a date. Let's say that date is May the 10th. If your date is May the this is important, guys. If you're listening, this this is a really subtle but super important distinction. If you're coming on May the 10th, you have to find an area that works for May the 10th. Because remember, bears just aren't in the same areas all year long and they're not in the same areas um, at different times of the spring they move they follow the green up as the mountain greens up the elevation the bears move in elevation and they can move significant distances so that all has to be factored into your plan so my point is if you're coming may the 10th adam you have to find an area that is got the right snow line the snow has receded or melted to the right point. You've got the right amount of green up time. You've got the right south slopes. You've, you're in the right elevation band that matches the snow line. So you've got to find an area in Montana that works on that date. Now, you could probably ask me some few questions about that later. But the second option is like, you're like, okay, I there's this spot. I know there's a crud ton of bears there. I know this basin's going to, it just looks like bear central. Okay. So you've got a spot. Now you have to figure out what is the best time to hunt that spot. Okay. Do you, you, you see the two distinctions, right? One is you're, you're, um, you're picking the spot to match your date. And the other one is you're picking the date to match your spot. So, for example, when we hunt, we're a lot like you. We are on a schedule. So, we have to start. We Well, we don't have to, but we want to start hunting April 15th. Well, let me tell you, hunting bears on April 15th is a freaking challenge because you, that snow levels are serious. You better have your snow research tools and tactics dialed because – you may not be able to get to your area. It could be waist deep. It could be, it could be a lot of things. And you can get a lot of snow on that date still. You can get a lot of snow on any day in the spring. But so all these factors you mentioned weather, but so we 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 adopt option number one for a lot of our bear hunts. Okay. We find a spot that matches the date. So right now I'm looking at five or six spots that we're evaluating for early spring or early April, mid April. Okay. Well, what's the problem right now in the West? The problem right now in the West is our snow is low. We got virtually, we got a terrible snow situation going on. It's actually getting to the point where it's worrying people. Like we're not going to have enough melt for the rivers. And if we don't have a wet spring or if it doesn't pick up, like I'm at my house looking out the window right now, I could see the ground in my house. That never happens in February. You never could see the ground at my house in February. So it's it's a dire situation out here. So what does that mean? 
Fire. Well, that means the bears are going to be in a different elevation than they usually are. So Ryan and I are working out three, four areas, all different elevations, Adam. That's the key. And so that we're ready, depending on what happens with this snow, right? And so um, that's one tactic. Well, we have another spot. We have a spot in Montana that we love out bears in. That spot, we have to pick the date. We know we know where we want to go, and we got to go right when the snow is perfect. We can still get in there, but we have to cross seven rivers. So we can't, not rivers, but creeks. We can't go too late or we'll get, we could get stuck when the runoff happens. And if we go too early, the snow's too deep. So it's a very fine line of too early and too late. I hope that makes sense. Um, I hope that answered your question on that. But we look at it as the two different methods, like I just mentioned, when it comes to bear uh, bear hunting. That's the that's the tactics that we employ. Yeah, I mean, it, it totally makes sense. And if we're, you know, if if somebody isn't following that, we can just look at it from like a whitetail situation where. You know, this is an early season spot. This is a late season spot. I stay out of there until this time because that's when the bear, you know, that's when the deer are in there. Like that, the bucks are only in there at this time. And and so you want to go in there and time it for that. But the first situation is you're looking at, you know, is it going to be conducive to hunting both for like, can you get in there or is it going to be too late and the snow lines, you know, 3000 feet up and you're just right. glassing adjustments where right, they were right. two weeks ago. Right. And yeah, that's so like your case, you know, you've got a, you've got a challenging year ahead of you for bears because of the, our snow situation. Um, here's the other thing. Sometimes early season, even though it's more challenging is better for a, two reasons. Earlier bear season. Is because number one, the bears don't move around that much. They're still lethargic. They're they've just come out of hibernation for several weeks. They kind of they just don't go that far, right? They kind of if you see one one day, there's a good chance you could pick him up again in that same area. That's not the case in June. You see a bear in June, you better go kill it because he's on the hunt. He's in the rut. He's looking for a sow, and he's not gonna. He's more than likely is not gonna be anywhere near that spot you seen him the night before. So one, they're a little more predictable with movements. But number two, the snow keeps the area that the bears can be in more restrictive. Does that make sense? So let's say you've got a snow line and you got a mountain range that goes all the way up to eight thousand feet, and the snow line's at three thousand. Well, you know the bears aren't going to be above 3,000, but if you go in June and the snow line's all the way up to eight, that they could be anywhere in that band. So it it concentrates the bears early season, and they're not as mobile as they are when the rut starts coming around. Let me ask you this, and you know you may not know the answer to it, like from a biological standpoint, but anecdotally you've probably seen it you know so any year like this where you've got very little snow or you've got no snowfall and i think last year you had a similar situation where there wasn't a ton of snow do these bears come out of hibernation early because of the ambient temperature or any of that i mean does it screw up like you know are there bears out when there kind of shouldn't be well there's a lot of research showing that that is the case now (laughs) It's funny in Montana, what we're seeing a lot of is the grizzlies are really notorious 
for coming out of hibernation and walking around town and and then going back to you know whatever um black bears are not as um as likely but what happens is um they will do it like we just had 50 60 degree day and i saw in my neighborhood i'm on this little neighborhood um page and i saw people had pictures of black bears so a couple of these bears have come out of hibernation and unfortunately when they come out of hibernation early a lot of times not all the times but that's where the human involvement get is higher because they're looking for food there's not a lot around so what do they do and the people are not taking care of their trash as as well as they do during the seasons uh in the winter you know we set our trash out we don't usually think about it well when it hits 50 degrees, there's a potential that these bears pop out. We have a real bad bear problem at our house where I live. The bears are always down there chasing my llamas. And um, I've actually killed a couple of bears um, during the season in my llama pen. So, but I haven't seen any, you know, lately, but it wouldn't surprise me now with the snow situation. But yes, they do. But the grizzlies are more likely to do it, I think, than the black bears are. Um, and I don't know what the detrimental effects are. I don't think it, I personally, I don't think it changes the rut cycles or anything like that. Um, I think that, um, you know, they could come out earlier, a little bit earlier, but for the most part, it's a food situation. Even though we don't have much snow, we still have snow. And even though we don't have snow, we still don't have the weather for green grass. We still don't have the weather for the prime food sources. So it's not ideal for the bears to be out of hibernation right now because the food is very limited. I hope that answered your question. Yeah, I just wondered because, you know, when you're talking about the that range from 3,000 to 8,000 instead of, you know, 2,000 to 3,000, you know, now you've got the potential for these bears to be moving around a lot earlier and spreading out or, or whatever. So I was just curious as to how that happens. And especially as it gets into that earlier season, it it just makes it more difficult to locate. I'd imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Like for example, you know, in Montana, particularly it's hard to hunt the early season in Montana, like the, like opening day, because our elevation is, is high enough that we have snow, well, one, it's hard to drive. It's hard to get to places. There might be some bears on the south slopes, but it's hard to get there without snowshoes and snow equipment, right? Um, that's where planning, I, you know, I talk about this. I'm going to, in the course, I talk about this. On, I've talked about this before. Not only do you have to look for places that are snow free and you can follow the snow line up and you can follow that green salad zone running up the mountain. But you also have to carefully plot and plan your travel routes. Because when you look at a mountain range and you look at the road system going in, this is going to be particularly the case for you coming to Montana. You got to make sure where those roads wrap around to the north side and as it moves up the mountain, you know, you could be driving on the south side of the mountain, Adam, and it's dirt. You make a you make a 90 degree bend, which has happened to us a bunch of times to the north side and it's three feet deep and let me tell you that spring snow as it's melting is super dangerous in vehicle it can slide it slips off the ground easier it avalanches easy i've had a lot of 
people I know got themselves into big messes trying to go to places where they shouldn't go in spring bear season. So researching out the roads and looking at the current snow cover, looking at the current snow depth, before you go and really analyzing where you think you can get in that live aerial, Im- you can look at live aerial imagery as well. These are all tactics that 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 we're going to teach at the tour and in the course. So snow analysis is one of the biggest aspects for me and for our team when it comes to spring bear. We spend probably the most time looking at where the snow is, where is it going to be, how how much is it melting, what's the melting progress, how deep is the melt, uh, and how quickly is the snow moving up the mountain range or up the slope, and what elevation is that. And then the second most important thing for us probably in the spring is slope orientation. We almost entirely focus on south or southerly facing slopes, southeast, south, southwest. Main reason for that is it's the first or the first slopes to become snow free. And they usually, usually in the states we're talking about, they get green first. The bears might be denning on the north side, right? But they pop over the ridge to feed and, and, come out of hibernation on the south side we see that all the time a couple years ago man we had multiple bears that we glassed coming over from the north onto the south slope day after day that's what they were doing and what they were eating it when we glassed up there adam it looked like there was no grass it was brown we couldn't figure out what they were eating at first and we put our spotting scopes up and they're eating these yellow glacier lilies like candy they were just shoveling these things in and once we zeroed in on those, oh man, we were turning up bears right and left. And so um, that's another good tip. Those 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 first emerging glacier lilies or avalanche lilies or whatever they call them. There's a bunch of names for them. Bears love those things. They're like crack to bears. And so even in the absence of good green grass, um, those glacier lilies are very desirable. So the one thing I will say about the grass, for some reason. As the grass matures and gets deeper, it's less desirable to the bears. They like those fresh shoots. Like literally, you can barely see it's green even sometimes. People want to glass and look for these bright green spots, like just all green. Sometimes I think that's a mistake. Sometimes the sparser green and the fresher shoots is what they're after a lot of times. And usually we see that that is in the range of about 700. 150 feet to a thousand feet in that range below the actively melting snow line. You don't want to be usually right on the snow line because it's not greened up yet. And you don't want to be too far below the snow line because it's um, the grass is too mature. So I hope that makes sense, but that's what we like. That's the zones that we like to target. Yeah, certainly. Um, All of that makes complete sense. Um, now, as the season progresses and the snow line gets higher and there's more browse, there's more area for these bears and you're getting into the rut, like how does the rut for bears change your tactics or your approach to uh, hunting these bears? Oh, man. Good. Qu- man, you got, you're just full of good questions today. All right. So 
people that are listening to this podcast are getting their money to where today you're asking all the tough questions. Um, it's not that tough, but it, it is a very specific question. And we, this is a very integral part um, to our bear hunting and to our, our success. Um, okay. So when the bears first come out of hibernation, they're like I mentioned earlier, they're pretty lethargic, right? They've got this plug. I can't remember the name, what they call it. It's a, it's kind of, they form kind of a plug for when they go into hibernation and they kind of poop that thing out when they, when they come out. And so they're very interested in the grass and vegetation. They're not terribly interested in dead animal in meat. You know, obviously bears are omnivoric, but when they first come out now, that doesn't mean if they pop out and there's a dead elk laying there, they're not going to eat it, but they are not, they don't seem to be after it as much as, as it gets later in the season. Um, but at first they've got to build fat reserves. They need that high protein. Um, they need those fresh green shoots. They need, they need that, that emerging growth to put the fat reserves back on that they lost over the winter. So they start, they just start gorging themselves. And like I said, they usually don't venture all that far from their core area. So if you are hunting an area and you don't see a bear in a day or two, then move. You know, the likelihood of a bear moving into that area in the early season is relatively low. Could it happen? Yes. Could a new bear come out of hibernation? Absolutely. Depends on if you're really early, then maybe you could get a bear coming out. But if it's like end of April-ish, I would say that if you're not seeing bears, you want to make a move to another drainage, right? In in a day or two. Depends on how much area you could see. Um, so secondly, so when the rut starts to happen, which, you know, there's some, there's some debate on kind of when that really takes place, you know, I would say mid-May by mid-May, these bears are really thinking about mating and they get on the move. The boars become very mobile, particularly the boars. And so for example, like you said, Our strategy in the early spring, I'm sorry, I'm jumping around a little bit here. I think you can make sense of it, is we'll set up where we can see the most. The most country is where we want to be. We want to put our eyes on the most landscape that we possibly can in the early season. Now, in the later parts of the season, that's not the case. We want to try to get in more isolated drainages that we can shoot across that we, you know, maybe within our range and where we set up to glass is important where we can get to other places quickly. Because remember what I said, when you see a bear after May 15th, you need to go after that bear. So if that, if you're glassing bears that are four hours away, three hours away, like a mile and a half, it's going to take you three hours to get there. And it's an hour before dark, you're in trouble. So Putting yourself in the position to be able to kill the bear when you see the bear is important the later the season gets because these bears, typically these boars particularly, are very mobile and they cover a tremendous amount of territory. So also what that means is in the later season, when I say later, I mean May, May 15th-ish on, you can, you know, you can potentially set in a good drainage. And a bear will show up 
because they're on the move. And the other tactic that we'll do a lot of is if we get in a drainage and see two or three sows with cubs or a sow that we think is a sow, we'll stay put because the odds are there's going to be a boar coming soon in that period, of, in that, in that, in that part of the season. So even though in April 15th, we see a sow and we don't see a boar, we're moving on. On May 15th, we might not be so quick to make a move. But so I hope that helps. I mean, does that does that kind of answer your question? Yeah, a hundred percent. And and I guess that that's one of those scenarios where, as a Eastern hunter or someone who's not, you know, I guess I never even put myself in the position to to make that distinction of. Yeah. So like when I'm in a spot where there's bears and there it's a sow with cubs, and now like now what do you do? Because you know, you can't shoot a sow with cubs. And so do you just move on or how do you do it? But what you're saying in this instance is essentially what any rut hunter, especially Midwesterner can, you know, you know, when you find the does, you'll, a buck's going to show up. So yeah. Where uh, do you want to hunt on November 5th, right? <laughs> right? Where do you want to be in Michigan on November the 5th? Right. Down I'm assuming the you want to be where the does are, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, when it comes to bear hunting, uh, we want to be where the sows are. If you can locate a couple sows or say a sow. Um, now I'm not saying we would stay glued to a sow because um, bears don't breed every single year. Well, and actually the way I understand it, you know, a, a sow with cubs, the cub has to be kicked off before the sow will come into heat. And that's a big problem for, for cubs. That's one of the reasons that the boars will try to kill the cubs. Because if they can kill that cub and follow that sow around long enough, she'll come into heat if she's no longer with the cub. So these cubs are at the mercy or at the jeopardy of these very aggressive boars sometimes. And you'll see boars run these cubs up trees a lot. And um, and so we've seen that. We've seen that occur. So keep that in mind is that, you know, if you see a sow with cub, now that doesn't mean a sow with cub is going to be attractive to a bear, uh, to a boar. He's just going to, he's going to come, he'll check out the situation and he might not stick around if he can't do anything about that cub and uh, he'll move on to the, to the next. And so, uh, but they're incredibly, man, come May 15th, May 20th, you know, sp- especially into June. These bears are very, very mobile. Now, what's nice about that is it's, remember, it's got a curse. The curse is when you see the bear, you got to kill the bear. Well, the good part about the late season is all the bears are out of hibernation. So you've got more volume of bears. You got more at bats. And they're moving around so much that they're much easier to pick up the movement of the glassing. Bears are not particularly hard to spot, right? But they are if they're not moving. Like spring bears are so, the early spring bears, April 15th bear moves so little. We've seen a bear go into a tiniest patch of trees on a wide open slope. And we never saw that bear for the rest of the day. And we know he's there. He just laid down. He's in that little patch of shade. He's lounging. Maybe he's eating a little bit of brown where he's at. 
that he has not shown himself for an entire day. We've had cases where we went back the next day and he came out and we were able to kill the bear. And so in the early, you've got limited footprint on the bears, which is good. You're isolating them, but you've got less bears because there still could be bears coming out of hibernation. And number two, they're not moving as much. So that means when the bear's not moving as much, that means you have to move more. So we typically move more in the early, early season than we do in the later season. In the later season, we try to put ourselves in places where there's traditionally been bears or we were able to, like I said, we were able to glass up the sow or et cetera, et cetera. But, um, and I, here's another thing I'll add is I think following the green up, like we talked about as the grass greens up the mountain is less important as the season goes longer. There's more grass everywhere. They start switching to other, you know, they'll eat dead things. I see them um, digging up ground squirrels, flipping over rocks, looking for bugs, looking for grubs. So as the season progresses, that green up zone, in my opinion, becomes less important to the bear hunter. So one thing you <laughs> mentioned there with that bear kind of hiding in the shade um, <clears throat> is an interesting thing. And, and, and I would be curious to know how that changes as the season goes along. So when we're talking about early season, we're talking about the snow line and you're focusing on that south side because that's where the sun is that's where that's going to be the first area to get that green up well these are big black furry creatures so as the season goes on and the temperatures get higher are we still finding bears in the same areas are or are we looking in these like cooler drainages like things we talk about with elk with dark timber and things like that to to cool off no, you're definitely seeing you're definitely seeing them move on to, you know, western slopes, eastern slopes, even north slopes as the season goes on. That's what I'm telling you. Your bear footprint is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So remember, there's not a bear around every corner. When people think about bear hunting, what you have to remember when you bear hunt is the numbers of bears is far less than deer and elk, far less. So you're you know, you, you'll go longer without seeing a bear. You'll go longer maybe with, you know, picking one up or even seeing sign or whatever. That's just something you have to be ready for, right? It's, it's part of, and I'll be honest with you that when you look at the bear harvest statistics, they're dismal. Now there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, a lot of residents, local Idaho, we buy bear tags. I know a lot of guys that buy bear tags because it comes with the sportsman's package in Montana for residents. costs like virtually nothing. And so they have it in their pocket. So it counts as a number. It counts as a bear hunter. So you got to be careful about the statistics because a lot of what I guess what I'm saying is a lot of people that have bear tags don't pursue bears quite like they do other big game animals. So keep that in mind. Number two is, you know, you're dealing with the hound hunters and the the bait hunters in um, states that have it. Montana, Montana does not allow baiting, but they do have limited hound hunting in some areas. Now, that's pretty new. Um, but anyway, uh, so keep that keep that in mind, you know, that that's, a, that's an important aspect to keep in mind. 
So now we got to get into the question that's on everybody's mind that's listening that's out here in the in the Midwest and they're saying okay it's really great to watch you know your films and to to watch what you guys do um and crossing seven creeks and rivers and stuff like that but for a guy going out for his first the bear hunt DIY, he's probably not going to go to those lengths for that. So, you know, with your elk hunting stuff, you have some really good, like, like fine tuned tips on like locating elk and kind of like not necessarily far off spots. You've got the, the kind of like these buffer zones where you like to look for them and things like that. So for a, a front country, truck hunting medium country type hunter what would be some tips for you know locating these bears or what would you look for on a map that would be maybe somewhere that the atv trails don't go that you can't glass from the road uh that would still hold bears so with bears you know a lot of people think that they're going to just come out here they're going to drive and, uh, and a lot of residents do this and a lot of people kill bears like this i've killed bears like this Drive around, drive the roads, look for bears, right? Glass here, glass there. You can kill bears like that. There's no doubt about it. But I here's what I want people to think about. We don't do that. That's not our tactic. Um, could we kill bears like that? Yeah. But I don't think we would kill the monsters that we kill and the age class of mature bears that we get doing that because – you know, we're killing eight, nine, ten year old bears sometimes. And to kill that level of mature bear, these bears are not stupid. They are very dialed to pressure, just like elk, just like deer, even maybe even more so. They say that what do they say? The bear's nose is one thousand times better than a bloodhound. And they smell people like if a bear smells you, he's gone. You probably won't see that bear again. Gone. So we take great, not that anything else would hang around if they smelled you either, but bears, their noses are incredibly sensitive. They don't tolerate it. They, they especially the big old mature boars, they, they're, they're, they leave town. So you've got to take care of your scent. You can't ignore the scent. And I'm talking the distance they can smell you is insane. Much further than other animals you're chasing. So just keep that in mind. But what I want to, what I, the bug I want to plant in your listeners' mind is guys, I said this earlier and I'm going to say it again. If you want to become a next level elk hunter or backcountry deer hunter, this is a way to do it. Come out here and chase bears the same way. Pack in, get a little remote, go into some of those remote drainages and remote spots when i say remote i don't mean 20 miles i mean three four miles right bears are not that hard to pack out the hike can get a little but i you know i most of the time when i'm like i've killed two bears two or three solo bears in the last few years that required over a mile or two pack out and i brought them out in one trip now it was painful but it was about 130 140 pounds and so two guys could bring a bear out. I mean, it's not, it's not out of, you know, it's not impossible. Bones on bears, bones on bears weigh a lot. 
They're heavy boned animals. So if you bone out your meat, put them in crack saw game bags. I'll give him a little plug. Uh, the orange bags that we run. Your money. You're golden. So, you know, yes, you can drive and hunt the roads. You can base camp out of the roads. But just remember, those bears know where those roads are, too, just like all the other big games. And don't underestimate the capabilities of a bear. And they will they will avoid you. Um, and they will avoid people. You'll kill young bears. You'll kill, you know, those kind of, you know, less mature bears like that. And you'll run across a big one every now and then. But it's funny. Let me give you an example. One of the places that we hunt, there's a lot of bear baiting going on, Adam, like a lot in this area. And we're killing bears that are 10, 11 years old within five miles of these baits. Why do you think these big bears are not running into all these baits and getting killed? Because they know, they know better. They've learned. They have no interest in those baits. You think they can't smell them? Oh, they can smell them. They know they're there. Or they go at night or they become so nocturnal. That's one of the other problems with baiting bears, right? These big boars become so nocturnal. But even so, some of these big old boars, they just have no interest in that bait because they know what that means. So anyway, I know I'd belabored that, but I want I want guys like, you know, that coming from them to think about getting geared up like you would to do a backcountry hunt and doing it for bears for lots of reasons. One, you're 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 learning your equipment, you're learning how to operate, and then backcountry, you're and it's a great experience. And I and the and the weather in the spring, you know, usually it's not terrible. You're not, you know, it's not frigid, super frigid cold where you're gonna freeze to death every day, like late season rifle or something. But you know, but you do have to take care. You mentioned rivers. Guys, we we Ryan and I have been talking about this. We got a whole module that we've just been working on for the bear course that's dealing with the with the water because in the spring it, it can kill you. Okay. I'm not under, I'm, I'm not over exaggerating this. You can literally cross and we've done it. You can literally cross a Creek on a Friday and it's ankle deep. And you're like, just walk right. Across. You don't even put your gators on. Just walk right across. And four days later, it's over your head and it's running giant trees or it's chocolate milk running and there's no way across. So make sure you evaluate for that. Make sure you have another exit strategy or make sure you pay attention to the temperature. Make sure you monitor the river. So when we're in a spot, we're watching the river, meaning we've glassed up a couple rocks where we see them and we watch the water level on that rock. And we, I don't know if you watched much of the film from last year, but Starvation Ridge, they almost got trapped. Because they waited just almost too long, Ryan. So they had to wait till three in the morning when the water was at its lowest, the cold, the coldest temperature, right, for the less melt, to scooch across this river because it got so bad. And they couldn't cross where they originally crossed. They had to cross a mile or more away because of the how dangerous it became. And so, you know, you got to keep all that in mind. Um, spring bear, that's one of the challenges of spring. Snow is a deal and water is a deal. So, uh, you know, don't underestimate the power or the, um, the dangers of that, especially, you know, and again, we're not, we don't need to get into all of it, but we're putting in a whole bunch of tactics on how you can evaluate the speed of water, the depth of water, the turbidity of water, 
um, the surface tension of the water. All these are all factors that you can use to help you decide if you can get across this or not get across it, um, you know, safely. You know, you know, we hunt with llamas and and now Ryan has goats, whatever. Them goats ain't going to cross nothing. Um, <laughs> so we have to keep that in mind because even though we could blow our rafts up and scooch across, they're always like, oh, Mark, we'll bring you food. Don't worry, buddy. You know, if I get trapped with my llamas, I'm trapped. I can't leave them, especially in grizzly country. They wouldn't last long. So these are all factors that we have to weigh out. So you had just mentioned uh, grizzly country, and um, we we kind of talked about it. Um, uh, I, I guess I heard you talk about it on another podcast, and I I just talked with um, Zach Bouton from Stone Glacier, and I don't know if you've yeah. seen his film about calling bears. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and oh, so, I, call, I love calling bears. Yeah, I wrote an article. I have a if you want to look it up. If you guys are listening, I wrote an article about calling bears. It's on Go Hunt. Um, my thoughts and strategies that I use. One of my biggest bears that I've ever killed was I called him in, shot him at less than two feet. <laughs> yeah, it was a that was a sketch one. And so with we're talking about I guess we think of grizzlies and brown bears and mountain lions as like predators, but in real life, you know. Black bears are predators too, and they, we just don't necessarily look at them the same uh, through that that same eyes because there isn't you know such brutal attacks. I mean, I'm sure if we looked into it far enough. Um, but so for you, I guess what would be some some tips or maybe some don't dos <laughs> about uh, calling black bears? Um, so calling black bears. You know, I wrote in the article, I think that I started off the very first sentence as something to the effect that calling black bears is not for the faint of heart. Um, There's only two ways they come in. (laughs) Bears, they only have two ways. One, they come in like a freaking freight train and you better be ready. Or two, they're sneaking around trying to figure out what's up. Right. They they rarely um they're either overly aggressive or they're very non-aggressive. Black bears when they come in. At least that's been my experience. And there's a whole bunch of tactics. If you want me to get into tactics, there's there's the the calling bears. You've talked to Zach, I'd be interested to see what his theory is versus mine, but it's unlike calling any other predator in my I, you know, I'm from Missouri. We did a lot of coyote calling competitions. We hunted coyotes all the time. I have multitude of fox pro calls, mouth calls, all the stuff. But when it came to calling bears, I had to re almost relearn predator calling for bears. It is radically different than just about any other predator. And what they will, what they respond to, and what they don't respond to, always amazes me. It, it continually amazes me. But one of the problems with calling bears in Montana, for example, is they do not allow electronic calls. I wish they did because you could put the call away from you a little ways, right? In Montana, you got to use the mouth call. So what does that mean? That means you are the prey. (laughs) And that means that bear is coming looking for you. 
So that also means that the grizzly that hears it is also going to come looking for you. So you have to be extremely careful. And even being careful, you can't control what's coming and what's not coming. And don't assume in Montana, guys, I'm telling you right now, do not pay attention to the grizzly zones in Montana. Do not. Do not pick an area and say, oh, I'm going to call bears here because there are no grizzlies here. That it might be your last mistake. For example, I was elk hunting out in eastern Montana. They claim there's no grizzlies in eastern Montana. And I saw three trail cam picks of grizzlies out there, of a grizzly out there. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, no, no, no. Yes, yes, yes. Now, are they around every tree? No. Is the population less than north uh, western? Yes, of course. But don't underestimate that. So now, don't let that deter you if that's what you want to try to do. But make sure you, you know, you just keep that in mind um, because those grizzlies will come to that call. Now, so far, I've been lucky. I have never had a grizzly. I've had a grizzly respond to the call, but I've never had one charge in to the call. Um, I, you know, I, I will they? I don't know. I'm assuming they will. Um, but I just never have had it. Now, I set up my setups are very. If I see any grizzly sign, tracks, scat, rubs, you know, tree rubs. Uh, heavy claw marks, like serious grizzly claw marks on trees. I do not call in those areas. I do not. So that, that doesn't mean it. Just because you're not saying it doesn't mean. But try to do things to reduce the likelihood. And when you set up, man, you want to set up in a very visible area, right? I mean, this is not a thick timber type calling scenario, in my opinion. Uh, unless you just got more balls than I do. And uh, now my first bear that I killed, the one I was telling you about, I was I was in a heavy, heavy grizzly zone. And I thought long and hard about it. But when I got to the spot, I could not see what I thought I could see. I didn't do my job with Google Earth like I should have. I was hunting a logged out area, at Adam. And I looked at the log out on Google Earth. It looked like it money. But when I got there... I didn't realize how old that image was and the trees had grown up to a reap rod three foot, you know, four foot high. There were still probably bears in there, but I couldn't see them. So I couldn't see anything what I thought I could see. So I'm sitting there. What am I going to do? I'm like, well, might as well call a bear in. And on my second setup, (laughs) which is weird because bears, they're not around every tree. Like I said, I set up in a little logging area that was open. Maybe I could see a hundred yards and I called for 45 straight minutes, not a break, not a reduction in sound, not a moment of breathing, nothing solid blowing the call with no breaks, 45 minutes. That's a key to bear hunting in my mind. I had quit calling. I had put the call in my pack and I was standing up to get my pack on And I look up, and there's this black bowling ball rolling down the mountain. I mean, this thing is coming. I'm like, and it hit me so weird at the time. I remember thinking, I'm like, what in the hell is that? And then I'm like, oh, 
That's a bear. And so he went down this ditch. So anyway, he never gave me a shot. And so I'm on him. I had my gun. I actually, at the time I had a 338 Magnum. And finally he comes and there's this ditch in front of me about 75 yards away. And he gets into this ditch and I know he's going to pop out of this ditch. And he comes running out of that ditch straight at me now he's not i don't think he's coming for me yet i can tell by his eyes that he's just coming into the call he's not i don't think he's coming to eat me you can i don't know if you can tell that or not but it seemed like he wasn't and i got the cross i didn't have chance for no side shot i just had to stream straight on so i shot him right under the jaw and he rolled over backwards and like an idiot i was as my first bear in montana that i'd ever called in I was already celebrating. I was standing up. I'm like, whoa, man, I can't even believe it. And all of a sudden, that bear is alive. And here he comes. Now, the second time, I think he was looking at me. <laughs> and I didn't bolt it, bullet in. I I was I was a total rookie. So this bear's coming, and I bolt another bullet in. And I don't know how much you know, but I'm a left-handed, I'm left-handed, and I'm shooting a right-handed gun. So I'm reaching over and I'm getting the bolt, which I'm used to doing, of course. And I literally got the gun up and just pointed it right when he got to me. And I shot him at about a foot and he's about to touch the muzzle. And there I am standing there with a six and a half foot bear. He's an absolute beast. And the best coat and the biggest bear I've ever killed to date. And, um, and he came to calling. But it took him 45 minutes to come. And when he did come, he was like, a, it was like hell on wheels. Um, and I've called in a couple of other ones that just slinked around and, you know, kind of more like a coyote would looking around. I like those. Those are a lot easier to deal with. But I've called in two. I've had two that I've shot within three feet. Um, and uh, those are adrenaline. Those are a. Uh, those are memorable moments. Let me put it that way. I, I almost live for those kind of moments. You know, if you like adrenaline, calling bears is definitely um, something you should think about. But comes with a warning in Montana. Uh, the Grizzlies could be there, and they are aggressive in the spring. They were very aggressive in the spring. You don't have to read very many articles. How many shed hunters do you read every year just get ripped up? You know, how many fishermen get, get jumped on, uh, all the things. So, you know, just, just keep that in mind. Um, oh, my dogs might bark here. My wife just got home. Um, yeah. So you got any, are you going to try, are you going to try any calling in your Montana trip? So we're, we're thinking about it. So we, you know, obviously we are a bow hunting podcast, but this isn't necessarily like only a, a a bow hunt because this is well we love bow hunting too guys but let me tell you i'm just gonna i'm gonna i don't mean to interrupt you but i'm gonna tell you right now spot and stock hunting bears with a bow is a not an easy hill to climb you know brian barney that man gets it done but dude it is a very difficult task because one how well they can smell and you just got to be dialed there. Now, visually, what they, they really don't see you coming. I mean, they're very poor vision animals. So that's not really ever too much of an issue. But it's getting to where they are and navigating the thick 
or crossing major tra- all the things, right? Um, it, it's it's a difficult proposition with a bow. Um, we always talk about doing it, but we always end up with the gun for one main reason is we love bear meat and we our odds are just a lot better. So <laughs> so I'm with you on that. Yeah, yeah. And 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 that's the thing. So we were looking into it just as like um you know being realistic about it, you're only gonna get you're only gonna see so many bears and you're only gonna get so many opportunities. And are you gonna wanna make that drive, do all of that stuff where you know, it, 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 I guess it's a, it's kind of like if you were going uh, on an elk hunt where you, you're doing everything and then you remove the calling for it. So you just are spot and stock elk in Colorado or whatever. You'd much rather have a, a rifle. You'd have much higher odds because you wouldn't need to get there, you know, sans calling. So then we run across Zach's video and we're like, oh, my gosh, this might be. You know, the way to have one guy with a bow, one guy with a gun. Now we've, you know, now we're at least, ha- you know, having fun, like that sort of sort of thing. So we're looking into calling from from that particular uh, side of it. But it, it's, you know, just like everything else, at, at some point, we're going to be two days from going home and we're going to have to throw everything you know, Adam and just to see, you know, you gotta. So, so yeah, definitely something that we're kind of looking into. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, you know, I love art. I mean, I'm an archer man at heart and so is Ryan. We all are. And, uh, but when it comes to bears, we just cannot like Ryan's been, we've been talking about it. Like for this Prince of Wales tag, it's going to be a lot of coastal glassing, it's going to be a lot of uh, boating around glass. It's a little bit different than we're used to, right? In the high mountains, um, but the, it it does present the opportunity for a bow. So we're thinking about it, but I don't know. <laughs> we we say it, and then we're going to get there. And when I see that seven foot black bear, eight foot, I want to kill it. And uh, <laughs> I don't know, but it, I don't know what we're going to do, but, uh, the same with like moose hunting, you know, we've talked about it, but at the end of the day, we're making this trip. We want, we got to up our odds to take this, to harvest a moose. And, um, now we chase elk with bows, mule do all the things, but when it comes to bears, like you said, dude, I mean, this is, this is probably a reality check for, for a guy or guys coming from the Midwest that don't does not have a lot of bear hunting experience under their belt yet, your chances with a bow are minimal because of like you just just finding the bear to shoot is going to not be it. Uh, it's going to be a formidable task. So I can think of you know of all the bears we've killed. There's a handful of them that we could have gotten two with a bow. Now, I would hate to think if I had a bow on my two call-ins, it would have been a problem, especially the second one. The second bear, I didn't tell you that story, but the second bear, he came after me, hardcore after me, to the point I had to hit him with the gun <laughs> and hit him with the gun before I could shoot him with the gun. 
If I had a bow, I'd probably be, I'd probably have some chunks. I'd probably have a few bite marks. Um, and don't estimate, you know, I'll tell you guys another story. You should look this story up. I, I know he's told it on a few podcasts, but guys look at a black bear and they're like, oh, that's not that big. You know, what can he do to us? You should listen to the South Cox story. He was archery hunting mule deer in the high country. And this little bear, like a cub level bear, saw him and moseyed over to him and ends up attacking him and almost killed him. It was everything he could do to get this bear off of him. And this was a little bitty bear. He talks about it. It's pretty mind-blowing, to be honest. So don't underestimate the the capabilities of black bear. That'll be a mistake as well. So from from that aspect of it, from a safety aspect, the bear spray sidearm, like what is your preferred backup plan? <laughs> well, so um, if you're coming to Montana, you need to have a plan. And my, here's my thoughts on it. And this is, this is a very controversial uh, subject in the, in Montana, you know, more and more people, what's happening is, I don't know what's happening, but it seems like that these grizzlies particularly are getting more tolerant to bear spray than they ever have been. And I don't know that there's facts behind that or if it's just rumor but my strategy is bear spray always first, because the thing about a gun is it's not, the gun is never an immediate stopping. Does that, let me back up. I think Joel Turner, I don't know who says it. I thought it was Joel, but I don't, maybe it wasn't Joel. Anyway, when you think about it for a moment, when you spray a bear with bear spray, you are decreasing his desire to attack you. You are lowering his adrenaline. You are causing him pain. You are de-escalating the situation with bear spray. With a gun, you're increasing his adrenaline. You're increasing his motivation. Unless you get a great, perfect headshot at a 30-mile-an-hour running bear, a headshot in that situation is going not be easy. So my strategy, I've never had to spray a bear yet. I've come close on a couple of grizzly, but I've never had to deploy my bear spray is my strategy is bear spray first, pistol second. So I carry both all the time, no exception in grizzly country. Now, when you're bear hunting, you've got your rifle, but guys, I'm telling you, rifles are not easy to wield in a quick situation. You think that, well, I've got my 300 wind mag. That's plenty big enough. I don't need a pistol. If that bear's on you, that pistol is, I mean, that rifle is literally useless. Once the bear's on you, you you have no defense with a rifle. I mean, you do, but it's, it's, you're limited, right? So that pistol is important um, for me, but it's never my first choice. It's, well, I shouldn't say it's not going to be my first choice. So, um, bear spray, where you can always get it. Obviously, there's obvious never, you're never without it. It's always on you, period. Same with the pistol. So, I switched my pistol. I used to carry my pistol on my, my backpack belt. 
but we were, we were, and I, I don't ever do scouting trips, hardly ever for elk, hardly ever. I'm an e-scouter dude, right? But I went on this scouting trip with my buddy and we, I just put my pack down. I was getting some water. I don't know what we were doing. I walked down the trail, literally not very far. And here's a group. I'm like, Ooh, I looked, I'm like, Oh crap. My bear spray and my gun are both on my backpack, which is not on me at the moment. I had my bino harness on, but I had nothing. Now, nothing happened. Thank goodness. He saw me and he ran. He, he was scared of us as we were him. So that was no problem, but it taught me a very valuable lesson. And then I started thinking back at him how many times I had done that before and not really thought about it. You know, you get to camp, for example, you throw your pack down, you do whatever you do. Dude, more people get attacked at a camp than they do hiking down the trail. So I went to a harness that goes hangs below my bino because I never hardly ever take my bino harness off. So I went to a you know a, like a Rasco Kydex, uh, and I'm I'm currently carrying a uh, nine twenty nine titanium Smith and Wesson PD, the ultralight forty four mag weighs like a pound. And it kicks like a mother, but um, but it only weighs a, it's it's a the bullets weigh almost as much as the gun. But for Alaska, I am thinking about switching to a ten mil to an automatic ten mil. Um, so I'm 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 weighing that out right now. Uh, I just can't think of too many situations where you're going to get more than six shots off, <laughs> but. I do know that a t- you know fifteen round ten mil is going to be easier to get multiple shots up than this beast of a forty four mag with buffalo board bullets. The other thing I would recommend, I sorry if this long winded, but is whatever gun you grow, get the hardened lead bullets. The don't get a hollow point, don't get a soft point for bears. Now some people say that, but I, I say no. You need the maximum amount of penetration you can get. And I think the Buffalo board bullets are some of the best. Now, make sure you shoot those Buffalo board bullets. Those things are hot. Like when I shoot my 44 mag with 44 specials, nothing. When I shoot it with 44 maggots, I can shoot it one-handed. But when I put those Buffalo board bullets in there, you better have both hands on that gun. I mean, it, it, it it's radically different. Now, my theory is that when the bear shows up, I'm going to be I'll be like uh, you know, James Bond in it sideways and I won't even know it. But when I go to the range to shoot it, I'd certainly know it. <laughs> so, anyway, that's probably more than you wanted to know, but um hopefully that helps. No, certainly. And I mean, all this is first-hand information from a guy that's done it a lot, right? So, for us, and all this information is uh, invaluable. So uh, I guess like as we close this out and before we get into, you know, where they can get the course and all that stuff, like what are the like number one mistakes that people make? Like every, every tip and tip trick is great, but like the, the, the hard learned lessons are the ones that, you know, people really need. Yeah. Um, the biggest mistake I think with bear hunters, um, is they do not take the time 
to fully vet these areas out. Like we just talked about you, you've got to learn how to historically analyze the snow levels. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, or you don't know how to do that, I have a webinar that I did a year ago. It's a two part webinar that's in the elk scouting. It's in my e-scouting elk course under the webinars. It's spring bear snow analysis. It is an in-depth webinar. In my opinion, it's worth the price of the L course just to get that information for bears. I had nowhere to put it, so I just included it in my e-scouting elk course, but I will be removing that, putting it into the bear course once I get the bear course done. But for now, it's setting in um, in the bear course. It was a great webinar. It was a two-hour webinar. We really got in-depth and you really, I really taught people how to historically look at an area and then right before you go, how to look at the current and how to work those two against each other and how to set up elevation zones, how to use different tools to isolate north-facing slopes. So what you need to do, when I, this biggest mistake is they're not vetting their areas for snow, for slope orientation, and they're not getting in the right elevation band and another mistake kind of goes with that mistake okay is we mentioned this subtly before is that they do not take the time to look at the route they're driving in to this area they don't understand fully understand what they could be dealing with on driving around on a north slope or whatever we talked about so if you want to if you want to increase your odds of of getting into an area that has a significant population of bears focus on that and as job one. And the next thing I would say is you got to have patience with bear hunting. You know, um, a lot of guys, if they're not seeing elk, if they're not seeing deer, they get antsy, they're moving, they're, they're not hearing them. They're not this or not that with bears, man, patience kills. And, um, and you, sometimes you just got to, you know, you, you just got to, what you got to work at it, man. I mean, there's, they're not, there's not one around every tree. And, um, so the third mistake that I'll, I'll the last one I'll leave you with is they, if they're spot and stock bears, and we're talking about spot and stock is they do not, they fail to fully evaluate their glassing locations. Like they, that they don't have the view that they thought they were going to have. It's thicker than they thought. Like, remember the example I just gave you about the logging? If I would have taken that example, because I looked at it in, in on X, right? Well, the on X image, how, do you know how old that image is? No, they don't put the date on it. You know why they don't put the date on it? Because they don't want you to know how old their aerial imagery is. All of them do. All of the hunt applications are like that, okay? But here's what I will say. Onyx, Go Hunt, Spartan Forge, Gaia GPS, all of these different hunt applications. A lot of people don't realize this. They buy their aerial imagery from different sources. So that is a, this is a real key for elk hunting too, guys. This is a really valuable tip. This is why I always, all the time, no exception, run two apps on every hunt. The main reason I run two is the, having a backup, of course. But secondly, so I have two aerial photo images to look at. One could be a little newer than the other. One could be a little clearer than the other. 
one could be this, one could be that. So keep that in mind um, on the aerial image. But if I would have went to Google Earth, I got so excited about this area that I didn't look any further than my app. If I'd have went into Google Earth and looked at the historical imagery and been able to page back, I would have known that that logout was 10, 12 years old. And I would have known that it probably is going to be more grown up than it looks in on X. So that's the third one is that one, they don't research their glassing spots carefully enough. They don't have the view that they thought they were going to have, or it's thicker than they thought it was going to be or whatever. So spring bears is three keys, slope orientation, snow analysis, and seeing the bears. You can't kill what you can't see. Awesome. Awesome. So if people want to follow along with, you know, some of these films that we've talked about, um, they want your course, they want to check out these events, um, any of that stuff, like what's the best way to, to get all of that? Well, so just like this podcast, Adam, when you get done, I'm going to post, I like to do all the podcasts that I've been on. I like to post on my podcast page on my site. So guys, I've done I've probably done 10, 10 plus really good. Now, this one, I'll be honest, is one of the better bear. I mean, you asked some great questions. We got in some good stuff here. But um, I've probably done 10 bear podcasts that are available on my site. So whether you buy anything or not, right, it, that's always that's available for free. It's, and I've got it organized in one spot so you can find it. Um, secondly, so... I just reorganized all of my treeline stuff, my treeline pursuit stuff, and my treeline academy. I just redid my whole website structure. So now everything is under treelineacademy.net. So you can find out about the bear tour. You can find out about the upcoming bear course, my Google Earth toolkits, which I highly recommend for bear hunting, and the e-scouting elk course, all that stuff, even the llama course, it's all there. Um, and then you, hopefully you follow me on Instagram at treeline pursuits at Instagram. And for our films, um, you want to follow gritty, uh, Brian call with gritty all. And even Ryan Lampers has some films coming out on his channel as well, but most of the films are on Brian's gritty, gritty channel. So hope you'll check that out too. Awesome. Well, I, I really appreciate it, Mark. And, uh, you know, as always a great conversation and you can, it, really see the passion that comes out in it. So it's, it's always, oh, man, I'm excited. I, you've got to let me know how Montana goes. Cause I'm, I'm really excited about that. Oh, we definitely, is this your first, bear, is this your first bear hunt? Yep. Oh 100%. yeah. Oh man. It, two of you, three, how many are coming? So we're going to have, uh, I think like two groups of three. Okay. So yeah. That's the, that's kind of like the layout. We've got people coming uh, because of the the way that it's laid out with our Patreon, we've got a uh, guy coming from Rhode Island, um, guy from um, Indiana or Illinois and Wisconsin. So, and then uh, okay. one or one or two. Well, if you um, as you start working through your stuff, you need any, if you need any ad- advice, probably here's what it say: you ask me the advice, and then whatever I say, do the opposite, <laughs> right? Then you'll be then you'll be in good shape, Adam. <laughs> Well, I'll make but, sure I uh, get you on my inReach. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, no, you're going to love it. So, um, you'll be addicted to it after. Like I said, you know, the wrap up here, the thing about bear hunting that's so great is you really don't have to plan, other than doing your prep work, 
you can decide right now you're going to hunt April 15th, right? And it's only a few months away. That's not always the case with elk. It, it requires a much longer process. We already talked about the tag acquisition really changes the game. And But with bear hunting, you know, you can do it and you can make it as hard or as kind of easy, I guess, if you want to call it that, um, you know, as you want. You know, a lot of guys, what they like about bear hunting is um, I talked about road hunting and I don't mean to be too negative on that because one of the things that I see a lot of bear guys like to do, they love to go do the group camps. They love to set up a bear camp. They set up their wall tent and they have a good time. They cook meals every night because the great thing about bear hunting is you don't have to be out there. We didn't talk about this, but you don't have to be out there crack of dawn. Uh, actually, I don't even, we very rarely class bears at daylight, very rarely. So we sleep in a little bit more, um, and there's so much dark hours in the spring, right? In my, in the in these states, so you're watching movies at nights, you're hanging around the campfire. So there's a very there's a fun feel to group hunting bears because you do get to spend a lot of camaraderie time. You come out here elk season, you get no sleep because the sun never sets, right? But in the spring, it seems like it never comes up. So it's the exact opposite. So um, anyway, yeah, um, hope you guys have a, have a good time, and I can't wait to hear the report. Yeah, we'll definitely catch up, uh, you know, once once your season winds down about December. So We'll have to, we'll have to do a season wrap-up. 100%, 100%. Big Appreci- man. Appreciate it. Thanks, Adam. Thanks for having me.